I said this in first service, now that all those lies are done, I get to tell you truth. Uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, my wife, uh, Jamie, is here, and my oldest daughter, Kayla, my youngest, is in uh, Kids Church, and I'm grateful to your pastors who are here. Let me just mention to you, as far as sabbaticals go, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I, I, I love your pastor. Uh, I just I love spending time. Those of you who follow him on Facebook, if you want to know who I am, I'm the guy he introduced him a few months ago to Pig Candy, this bacon thing he put all over his Facebook. I'm, you know, that's why I'm here to speak. You bribe him with barbecue, he asks you to come preach. It's really awesome. Um, but uh, but I went on a sabbatical last summer, and uh, I will tell you, uh, my wife will be happy to tell you as well, it, it permanently changed me. It was more essential than I, I ever thought. And I know in churches, many of you work jobs and say, boy, I'd like to have a sabbatical. Yeah, I'd like that for you too. I think it should be in every environment, in every workplace. I think what it does for the person, the worker, what it does for the company, what it does for a church would be fantastic, is fantastic. And so I'm just glad the church is finally leading the way on something that's pro-health. Does that make sense? And, uh, and I'm grateful, and I'm glad. Your pastor going on the sabbatical, he will discover things about himself. He will realize time with his family. He'll realize certain aspects of his life. He'll come back more energetic, more uh, passionate, and uh, it's good for your church, too. I want to tell you, uh, it was one of the best things, and I'm grateful for a congregation at my church that loved me enough to do that, and I'm grateful that you are a church that loves your pastor enough to do that as well. And, and, and like your pastor said, don't, don't check out. Don't check out. Uh, serve, step up, give, and, uh, and God will use that. Uh, I'm grateful to be here. You guys, have, your church has been very hospitable to me and my family. Uh, what an incredible, I mean, I don't even know if Pastor Ben had to pray about being called to be the pastor here. If you just come to this city, I feel called. I mean, it, what an incredible place to live. I'm from Sterling Heights in Washington Township, which is uh, suburbs of Detroit, uh, where uh, there's, you know, no one gets anywhere in a hurry, but everyone yells at each other like you are. It's, it's awful. The driving is angry. How many from the Detroit area know what I'm talking about? It's a nasty place, a vehicle. Uh, and uh, <laughs> vehicle, I don't know if that's a word, but whatever. Uh, but this is gorgeous. And we spent the day at the beach. I am currently in excruciating pain because I forgot to put sunscreen on for six hours out in the sun. So from about here down... I am uh, heading to the hospital immediately after service uh, for treatment. This is, I'm in a lot of pain right now, but it was wonderful. And, uh, and I'm grateful to, to this church for allowing me to come and, and uh, pray that it's a blessing to you. I want to speak to you on a message that's really been on my heart for a really long time. I think it's something that, that churches in America need to get back in touch with, Christians need to get back in touch with. And when you hear a message on this, your first reaction is going to be, oh, this is a pastor speaking about serving in the church. How many know anytime a pastor preaches on being committed, get focused, serve, give your all, immediately everyone's like, okay, so where's the need? What's going wrong? Who quit? Are we at a shortage? And immediately we start thinking church, don't we? Well, I'm not your pastor, so I'm not asking. I have no idea. I'm sure there's always needs. I'm talking today about faithfulness in your life as a person. Um, today I want to talk to you about something that I think is happening all across American churches. Um, I'm, I've spoken about 18 countries, uh, 15 countries over the years, and uh, I don't see the same trait in those countries as I see here. I uh, speak in several churches around the, the nation each year. And, uh, and enjoy the opportunity to do so. And there's something that I think God wants us to look at, and so we're going to do that today. Uh, what does faithfulness look like to you? 
I want you to pause for a second. I want you to think about someone in your life who you think is a faithful person, and I want you to think what makes them faithful. In our story today, we're going to start off first with a little bit of history. God had uh, spoken to the nation of Israel multiple, multiple, multiple times to get their act together. How many know the story of Israel kind of works like this? They get in trouble. They cry out to God. God comes and rescues them. Then they forget God exists until they're in trouble again. Then they cry out to God. Then they get, God comes and rescues them. Then they forget God exists. And they do this pretty much continually all throughout their history. How many know that that's just true? And, and sometimes we look at it and we go, oh, Israel, you're so stupid. Well, let's pause and look at our lives. The times that most Christians are most committed to him or cry out to him in desperation is when we're in trouble. And then when things get better, we tend to say, oh, look what God did, and look what God did in me, and look what I did. You know, one, one statement, look what I did, is one step away from look what I did without you, God. Look what I did. You know, we, we kind of go, oh, God, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble. We go, oh, God, look what I did. Hey, everyone, look how I got out of this. And that's one step away from look what I did without you, God. And I, I've learned this in my life, that in the good and the bad, faithfulness is demonstrated on how you view God in both situations at both times. Uh, faithfulness is an incredible spiritual gift. And Israel demonstrated a lack of ability to do that. In fact, the whole book of the Bible, uh, Judges, is all about God sending judgment back to Israel, reminding them of their ways, uh, trying to get them back on track. They allowed foreign gods, false worship into their lives, uh, idol worship into the temple. They didn't honor God. And, and they would get their life right and get, get it uh, back on track, and they forget God. And then God, God would send these deliverers, these reminders, and this would happen for about 1,100 years prior to the arrival of Jesus because Israel was an absolute mess and in desperate need of good, faithful leadership. And in the story where we pick up today, it's a familiar person, but I want to speak on it in a different way because I think there's an important lesson for us to learn. And it's the story of, of Samuel. Samuel is kind of at the end of the book of Judges, the years of Judges. He, he comes on the scene right at the end of that, kind of becomes the spiritual leader, the prophet of God for the generation to come. He, he has a unique role, but his story doesn't begin in his own faithfulness. It begins in the faithfulness of his mother. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. He had two wives. One was Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. How many know and see a problem right there? Okay, Hannah has no children, uh, she cannot conceive, Penina has had children, and, and what we begin to see is a problem that turns into a pain. How many know every pain that you have in your life usually starts with a problem? And it's how we resolve the problem of how deeply it hurts us or how deeply or how quickly we get beyond that. And it starts with a pain, an incredible sense of pain. Penina is not nice to Hannah. She is brutal to Hannah. Listen to verse 3. Year after year, this man, Elkanah, the husband, went up with, from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. Shiloh was the place where the tabernacle was. And you would come yearly as part of a tradition, bring an animal, offer a sacrifice. Your family would be forgiven. It was an honoring thing to God. It's where the temple was. The temple was run by Eli and his two sons, Hophni, uh, Hophni, uh, Phineas and uh, um, yeah, Hophni, I was right. Hophni and Phineas. I was thinking of, how many know Phineas and Ferb? Uh, that went through my mind all of a sudden, and I got sidetracked. I almost said Phineas, I said him out of order. If I say Hophni and Phineas, I'm good. If I say Phineas, I go right to Ferb. So it's, anyway, uh, how, many, how many can forgive me for that moment? Okay. 
uh, Hophni and Phineas, and, uh, and they're the sons, they're also priests in the temple. So it says this, where Hophni and Phineas, the sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he'd give the portion of meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, the, her rival kept, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This is not an accidental, angered moment uh, one time. This isn't a statement that is said that's unwise. This is a continual poking of Penina at Hannah. I have kids, you do not. I am more important, you are not. I have sons, you do not. Sons were a big deal back then. They still are today, but they were the inheritance. They were a sign of God's favor. Uh, I have kids, you do not. And she would do this on a regular, intentional basis to poke and prod at the life of Hannah. And this didn't happen just once. As I said, it happened year after year. How do we know that? Verse 7. This went on year after year. <laughs> pretty, pretty brilliant right there. Took a lot of biblical interpretation to get that right there. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and could not eat. This was so painful, so relentless, so tormenting that this, this Hannah could not even eat. She was at the point where life wasn't awesome. Life was awful. It was miserable. Her stomach turned. She was in weeping and wailing and, and mourning and grieving. This was relentless torment and relentless pain. You know, question for us is, have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that kind of pain, the bad diagnosis, the death of a loved one, the, the divorce of a spouse, the marriage that's hanging on by a thread, the affair, the struggle, the addiction, whatever it may be. Have you ever been in a spot where you're in pain, the bully, the ridicule person, that person who is the cubicle commander of the office who thinks they're in charge of every part of your life? The reality is, is we've all experienced pain at some point. And by the way, if you haven't yet, you will. And, and that's why I encourage you. Uh, you guys do connect groups and those kind of things. Let me encourage you. You know, uh, the devil works best in isolation. God works best in community. <laughs> you, you may say, I don't need somebody. You will at some point. You will absolutely at some point. That goes for all of us. You know, your pastor. Uh, somebody sent me an email one time at my church and said, hey, pastor. I just want to let you know, I drove down the road and I realized you're a normal person who has pains and struggles just like me. I was like, why did you not know that? You know, <laughs> I was like, yeah. The reality is this, is that your pastor knows that. He, he, he has pains and struggles too, but then he ministers to the body. He knows how, how people go through things. If he was here, he'd tell you there are struggles happening all the time. I will tell you, the healthiest churches are when the pastor doesn't have to do all the pastoral care, when the body ministers alongside itself. If you don't have someone, you need someone, be, be, be in community. So this pain is in her life. And she, she is going in, 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 in torment inside. She won't even eat. She is miserable. And then her husband comes, and he's an awesome comforter. Men, pay attention of what not to say. <laughs> Elkanah, her husband, verse 8, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? <laughs> Guys, when your wife is miserable, don't take the attention and tell her, you should just be so blessed to be married to me. I think she's like, yeah, you're, you're one of my sons, you idiot, you know, kind of a thing, you know. I, I can imagine she had that thought like, oh, really? You know, you moron? Yeah, you're so wonderful, you know. 
Uh, guys, I, I, I have those, we all have those tendencies, those moments to not get it. He blows it bad, okay? And, and Hannah is, is in misery. Verse 9, once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. Now I want you to begin to notice this faithfulness. And you say, where is the faithfulness in this? Where is the faithfulness in bitterness of soul? She wept much and prayed to the Lord. See, she is broken. She is in pain. She is confused. She is lonely. And she's faithful. Because where does she go in the midst of her pain? Her pain moves her towards God, not away from God. We have this phrase in our church. We say constantly, every day you choose a way. Every day you choose a way. In moments of pain and moments of struggle and moments of, God, why do, why do I not have kids? Why does she have kids? What have I done so wrong, God? Why don't I have the blessing of life that Penina has? Why is she so mean to me? God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forgotten me? We have one of two ways. We go that direction. And we take our questions, and it makes us angry, and we say things like this. God, you and I, we're not talking anymore. God, I'm not talking to you about this anymore. Listen, if one more Christian says to me, I'll be praying for you, I'm going to punch him in the face. <laughs> you know, honestly, can I be frank? There's nothing wrong with saying I'll be praying for you. But can I tell you that I think a lot of us Christians say that and we don't do it? And then we see them walking down the hall of church, and we're like, oh, Lord, bless them. Hey, I was just praying for you. How are you doing, you know? <laughs> I told our church, I said, I have a massive prayer list for all you people in our church. And I said, I want you to know I pray for you on Monday through Saturday, but not on Sundays because uh, I'm doing church. And they said, okay. And so when I said that, within a week, I had 37 different people contact me with prayer requests because they thought that was my job. I will tell you something. In life, sometimes we have these, these moments and these struggles where we think we, we're not going to talk to God. So we assign our life to someone else to pray for us so we can sit back and do nothing. Hey, would you pray for me? Hey, I got prayer coverage. And then we go about living our lives and don't worry about it. I, I remember a person in our church came to me one time and said, you know, Pastor, I want you to pray for financial blessings in my life. Here's all the struggles I'm having. Here's all the financial things. And I said, are you faithful to to God and your finances? And they said, no. I said, then what makes you think you have a right to ask God to be faithful to you? You know, in our lives, we have these moments where we go to God when we need him or we get angry at him when things don't go the way. Listen, as Christians, don't we have a sort of idea in the back of our mind that sort of exists that says things like this? Because I am a Christian, see, we don't say it like this. God, you and I aren't talking, but we say it like this. God, because I'm a Christian, I've done everything. Let's say you're tither and you're giver and you're faithful to church attendance and you serve in ministry. We say things like this. God, I'm doing everything right. Why is this happening to me? As if when you got saved and when you gave your life to Christ, the command was this. Give your life to me and I'll make your life perfect. Nothing can ever touch you. How many know you don't even need the devil to mess up your life? You can do it all on your own. <laughs> you know, I don't need the devil to mess up my life. Just leave me alone to my own devices. I can mess everything up. And you can too. <laughs> you know, it's true. And the reality is, is the devil tempts, but ultimately every choice we have in life is ours. And the way she responds to God is very different than the way most of us respond to God. Many of us get mad at God. We're not talking to you. You owe us. We've been faithful. Now you give back to me. Or we do what Hannah does. 
and Hannah is a healthier way. She invites God into the mess. The mess is still the mess. It doesn't matter that she's in pain. It matters that she has God with her in her pain. It doesn't mean God has to fix everything right away. It just means that God has to be with her through the mess no matter how it turns out. See, she doesn't know the solution, but what she does know is she needs God with her. And so she invites God. How do we know that? She goes to the temple and she prays. She is broken, devastated, not able to eat, and she, she prays. So how have you responded? How have you responded to the mess of your marriage, abuse, anger, Grief, struggle, child who won't come home and know God, family member who is in a relational struggle. How have you responded? See, every day we choose a way. And she is in pain, yet she is faithful to God. God, I don't get this. God, I'm confused. God, I don't want this. God, I will trust you. God, I will invite you into the mess. Verse 11. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, and then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be placed, uh, used on his head. And she keeps, as she, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but voice was not heard. In other words, she's kind of like, you know, that kind of a thing. And she's weeping and mourning in her heart. And Eli thought she was drunk. <laughs> and he said to her, how long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. <laughs> I mean, can you guys just see that this just keeps piling up on her? She's in the right position doing the right thing. And now the priest is yelling at her to get out of the temple because she's drunk and being disrespectful to God, which she wasn't. Verse 15. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. Listen to the pain. And I've not been drinking wine or beer. I have been pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. This is a completely wrecked individual. So much so that her prayers and her heart crying out to God seems broken, seems drunk, seems so out of norm. Verse 17, Eli answered, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. Notice that Eli doesn't say the Lord told me you're going to get a son. It was just a prayer. Hey, just go. May the Lord grant you. She leaves. And I want you to notice something. She said, may this, your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went on her way, and what did she do? She ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. What made the difference for her? She didn't have the solution. She didn't have a son. She didn't go out. I mean, can you imagine Elkanah? She comes out of the temple. She goes, hey, <laughs> in five minutes, I gave birth to a son. You know, that would have been a, a, a logical thing. Now I can eat. Now I'm happy. Now I'm healthy. No, nothing has changed except a prayer of a priest. She is still childless. Penina is still waiting for her outside of the temple. She's going to get ridiculed all the way back home. This is the routine of her life. But what is different is she comes out and her appetite is back. Her hope is restored. She is no longer downcast. She still does not have a child. She still doesn't have all the answers. But she does have God with her and it brought everything back to norm she still hurts she doesn't hurt alone though i'm telling you inviting god into the mess of your life is a great way to live i've learned over the years we've had a lot of messes we've been through a season with some families in our church probably the most complicated and tricky season my wife and i have ever faced in 18 years of pastoral ministry 
Um, I mean, it has it literally has kept us up at night. It literally has been awful to watch and to go through with uh, several families. And and it's been just painful. And I'll tell you, there's a difference, though, of going through a struggle and hoping God will be with you than there is to making sure that you give everything to God so he is with you. Now, certainly God is with you, but I will tell you there's a difference inviting him into the mess and telling him just to fix it. There's a difference. She invites him into the mess, and it teaches us this, that God can work in unspeakable ways in the midst of your unspeakable pain. God can work in incredible ways in the midst of your unspeakable pain. Verse 19, it says, early the next morning she rose and worshiped before the Lord. You see faithfulness again. She's honoring God in spite of her pain. And then went back home to Ramah. She ends up becoming uh, uh, pregnant. She has a son, and his name was Samuel. And she named him that because I asked for the Lord for him. God remembers her. She conceives. She has a son. Samuel is his name. In verse 21 through uh, 23, we see the story that uh, he's getting ready to go back to his, Elkanah is getting ready to go back to his yearly trip to Shiloh. Along this journey, she's, she doesn't want to go. She says, let me just keep him here until he's done nursing, until he's weaned. And, and really what she's doing is she's wanting to hold on to being a mom as long as she can. And, and she says, okay, can I do that? And Elkanah says, yes, do that. And so she continued to keep him home. She nursed him, and, and then the time came when he was old enough and he had been weaned. Usually that was around three years of age. In verse 24 of 1 Samuel 1, it says this. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, although with a three-year-old, uh, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, skin and wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli and said to him, As surely as you live, may the Lord, uh, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him, so now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life will be given over to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. Hannah brings Samuel and leaves him at the temple. She returns back to, to Ramah, back to her home with half of her heart. This is a difficult thing for her to do. Now, God will bless her with more children. She will have sons and daughters, and that will happen over time. But as she watches her son walk away, I don't want your attention to stay on Hannah. Hannah has done her part of the story. She'll have another moment coming up, but she has been faithful to God, and now God is going to be faithful to her. And I want your attention to not be focused on the mom that leaves in sadness, but the son who remains at the temple, at the tabernacle. Samuel will develop into a man of God who has favor beyond all you can imagine. He will anoint kings. His reputation will be incredible. In fact, Samuel is one of the only people in the entire scripture, there's a few, he's one of the only ones in all of scripture who you read no account of a single moral failing at all. No bad judgment, no lapse in understanding, no direction against God, no false worship. He is one of the only people in all of scripture who lives a faithful life as recorded all throughout his life. He'll become God's mouthpiece. He'll become a leader of a nation. In fact, he'll have integrity and faithfulness as the mark of his life, and the entire nation of Israel will grieve and mourn when he dies because of who he is. But at this moment, he is a three-year-old boy, and his mom just said goodbye. It's a beautiful story that God is developing. 
But how many know it has had some very difficult parts? <laughs> Can I pause and say this to you? You might be in a very difficult season right now. Can I tell you that doesn't mean God is not telling a good story through your life. It's just a good story with some difficult parts. I want you to think about this with Joseph. This is way off my message, but let me just say this with you. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. He's in Egypt. He becomes the leader of Egypt through a whole lot of craziness. It is a major detour. He is the great-grandson of Abraham, the God of promise. Joseph, in, in all of his pain, you read it through his writings. He says, may God, he names his children. You know, hey, God has seen me in this troubled land. All this pain. Do you know that Joseph is celebrated as a godly man who has a great ability to forgive? Do you know Joseph never returned alive back to his homeland? He lived in a detour the rest of his life, but God used him all throughout his detour. Some of us want to get back to certain things, and we say, God, if you don't get me back to here, it's not going to work. Can I tell you something? God is in the business of taking difficult parts of your story and still using them to develop his overarching story of goodness in your life. We, we had a, a story, I'll, I'll tell you this, my, my uh, mother-in-law, she developed cancer for uh, seven years. I didn't share this in first service. Uh, seven years she battled leukemia. She passed away um, seven years ago, um, this, year, this January. And uh, she had uh, given her life to Christ, and, and God had done some great things in her life. And then when she got cancer over time, she had kind of walked away from her faith in God. In fact, God was an off-limit subject. We could not talk about what God was doing in our lives or in church. She, she absolutely just shut it down and didn't want anything to do with God. And so my wife had talked to her and said, Mom, you've got cancer. I want you to know you could, you could go south real quick. Where are you at with God? Her mom just did not want anything to do with, with God. One day, her... Uh, uh, her mom showed up to church. This was about four months before she passed away. And I was preaching, and I saw her in the back, and I thought, what in the world is going on? Why is my mother-in-law here? And she called me on the way home, bawling about how good God was. And, and week after week, this happened. And I said to my wife, I said, what's going on? She goes, I have no idea. When my mother-in-law was dying, I was uh, sitting there, and we were talking, and I said, what, what happened? Why did you come back to God? She said, all your talks irritated me, you guys, you know, blah, blah, blah. She, gave, she said, it was Kayla, who's my oldest now. She was five years old. She said, my five-year-old granddaughter walked into our family room and said, Grandma, why aren't you not in church? You need to be in church. Every granddaughter should have a grandparent who knows God and goes to church. You need to get your life together. And we tried for years to witness and speak to my mother-in-law. We were faithful in everything we did. We prayed, but God did something great. He took a very difficult story and used a five-year-old granddaughter. And on her deathbed, she said, someday when, you're, when, when Kayla is older and having a rough time and doesn't know if she hears from God, I want you to look at her and tell her her grandmother's in heaven because God used her. And at eight years old, Kayla was having a rough stretch, and we sat down and we got to tell her that. I will tell you, God can tell a very good story, but it always can have difficult parts to it. And we get hung up on the difficult parts instead of seeing that God can work through that. Amen? Do you, are you with me? And this is Hannah's story. Now, how many know the temple would be a great place for him to be raised? <laughs> In theory, this is not a great place to be raised. And as we walk through this story, I want you to see something. And I'm going to move fast because I don't want to go too long. It's holiday weekend, I know that. I want you to notice that there is this incredibly beautifully written portion of Scripture where on one side you see this darkness of evil happening and then these short little statements. 
about Samuel that are just absolutely magical. And if you, if you don't pay attention, you'll just read through it, and you'll miss the beauty of the contrast between a simple statement. See, by the way, faithfulness doesn't have to be flashy, doesn't have to be loud, it just has to be faithful. And you'll see this grand story of evil and these little statements of faithfulness about Samuel and their inspirational, at least to me. In, in 1 Samuel 2.11, Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Who is Eli? Eli's the head priest. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas and Ferb, are there. In, in chapter 2, verse 12, Eli's sons, listen to the description of them, were wicked men, and they had no regard for the Lord. I want you to see this as we move forward, of the contrast between the behavior of Hophni and Phinehas and the behavior of Samuel. Both of them will grow up in the same environment, in the same place, with the same opportunities, but two totally different results will come. As we move forward, pay attention to the environment that surrounds Samuel, and then pay attention to the account of who Samuel is. And by the way, I will tell you, you know, we have, we have a guy in our church who came to me, and he says, man, I, I work in this job, and everybody's swearing and saying dirty jokes and all this stuff, and man, it just, it's like impossible to stay faithful to God, and I just give in, and I start joining them. What do you think I should do about it? And I said, uh, stop it. And it was just like silence, like he was really not expecting that, you know, like, like he was expecting me to say, oh, let me pray for you, brother, it's so rough. I'm like, stop it, you know, just don't do that. You know, the reality is, is Samuel proves something that we struggle with in America is this. The environment around us only has an impact on your life if you allow it to. Every day you choose a way. And I believe that God wants us to be different. I don't think standing out is bad. I don't think being different is bad. I think the greatest way the American church will grow the kingdom of God and reach people is not when we try to dictate our behavior so we win people, is that when our behavior follows biblical principles, the outcome is people will want to follow the God who we serve. When we love right, when we live right, when we serve right, when we show up to work on time, when we're the hardest worker, when we're the most faithful and trustworthy worker, that is not the goal so you get a raise. That is the goal to be more like Jesus, and the result is people will notice. I will tell you, the way to live your life is to be faithful to him first, and the outcomes will be a blessing to your life. By the way, he doesn't have to do another single thing for any one of us in this room. He has already sent his only begotten son that whomsoever believe shall not perish and have everlasting life. Listen, even in illness, if you get sick, God heals miraculously. He heals medically. He heals miracle, uh, uh, um, progressively. But I will tell you, even healing is assured for every believer because someday, even if you die, you have an eternal healing. God doesn't owe you anything else. He has been faithful at every level of your life. The question is, what do we do? What do we do with that? And Samuel grows up in a very unfaithful environment to God, but Samuel will be different. Listen to this. And I'm going to read this. I'm not going to unpack every verse. Just listen to the contrast. Watch how beautifully it is written. Uh, it says this, verse 13. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offend, offered a sacrifice, uh, uh, and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan, kettle, cauldron, pot. We covered everything. 
<laughs> and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. So the tradition was this. When you came with an animal, it had to be a spotless animal. You sacrificed it. They would boil the meat, and the, the fat would leave the meat, and that was considered the sacrifice to God. Then the priest would come and take the meat after, and he would eat that meat. Whatever was left over, he would give to the person who brought the sacrifice. That was pleasing and acceptable atonement for sin as, a, as how they did it back then. But listen to what happens in verse 15. But even before the fat was burned, what does that mean? Before God had received his sacrifice, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I will take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. What they were doing is this. They were taking God's portion first and telling people, if you don't do this, we're taking it anyway. He was robbing people. They were robbing people of the right of their own sacrifice and robbing God to be the first recipient of the sacrifice. And this is serious stuff. And here's the question. Will Samuel blend in or will Samuel stand out? Will Samuel blend in, or will he stand out? Here's the question for our lives. Do you blend in, or do you stand out? Watch what happens in the next verse. Watch this contrast. Evil, darkness, robbing from God. And this little statement, verse 18. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. An ephod is a priestly garment. And the contrast of the writer is this. <laughs> Chaos is happening over here. And off in that field in the distance, you see Samuel just ministering before the Lord, doing what God called him to do. This is in direct contrast to the scene played out around him. Samuel stands out. Listen to this, verse 19. Each year, a mother made a little robe for him and took it to him. When she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth uh, and to three sons and two daughters. Another statement of faithfulness, small. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now, how many know the presence of the Lord was not happening like, like, it, like you should at the temple, at the tabernacle? What it was doing was Samuel was growing in his relationship with God one-on-one. -on -one. I, I, I want to pause for just a second. I, I think it's interesting. How many noticed that what she would bring him every year was a robe? Why every year? I'll, I'll tell you. One, because he grew. He needed a new robe. Practical. Number two, it was also part of a, a tradition of, of for sons and things like that. But let me just say what I think is really happening here. I believe one of the reasons she's doing that is, is that she is reminding Samuel that although you live in a very different environment, because she knew and all of Israel knew what was happening at the tabernacle. Listen, I think she wanted him to know that and remember that every day he needed to put on faithfulness like his mother had demonstrated, that he was there because of the faithfulness of God to his mother. He was there because his mother was faithful to God. And every time he put on that coat, I believe he remembered, this is from my mom. My mom loves God. He is the one true alive God. This is what my mom wore. She wore faithfulness. She invited God into the mess. She went to God when she was in pain. And now I walk around and wear the coat of faithfulness. I pray that you and I, as moms and dads and as grandparents, we instead 
establish in our children the ability to see what faithfulness is, and they walk out of our homes with faithfulness on and understand they can be faithful in a world that is not. Faithfulness is so much pressed right. Then it goes on. Uh, Eli was very old, and he heard about everything the sons were doing, verse 22, to all of Israel and how they slept with women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. How many knows it's getting even worse? So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. So we know, everyone knows what's happening with Hophni and Phinehas. If a man sins against another man, uh, if a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. The Lord has had enough. They are going to be removed. Eli is going to be removed for not being a good priest. They're all going to be removed. They're all going to die on the same day. It's over. God's judgment has come. And I find it interesting. He says, everyone knows what you're doing. You are destroying the reputation of yourself and the reputation of God. Verse 26 Contrast, another small statement. And the boy, Samuel, continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and what? With men. In the midst of chaos, in the Samuel is living an exactly opposite life of what is happening around him. The reputation of the Lord is being hurt. The reputation of, of people is not trusting the priests of the temple. Yet, he is growing in favor and stature with God. And he's growing in favor and stature with men. He doesn't blend in to his environment. He stands out. Do you stand out? Do you stand out at school, at work, at home? Does your family know you in a different way at home than they know you at church? Are you different? Do you grow in the favor of God or do you blend in? I pray that God helps us all stand out just a little bit better. I remember in high school, I'll tell this story. In high school, I I was, uh, uh, in fact, I tell youth groups, I still speak to some youth groups every once in a while. I don't know why. I'm way too old and bald to do that. But, but I start off every youth retreat, and I say, hey, I just want to let you know, if you don't know me, I was captain of my basketball team, public high school, class A school, best personality, mock election, uh, runner-up for homecoming king. And everyone's looking at me like, well, don't you think great of yourself? And I say, those of you hung up on popularity, this is what it looks like 25 years after high school. <laughs> and the kids don't know what to do with that. They're like, ha, 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 ha. I'll be like, it's okay to laugh. And eventually they're like, ha, 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 ha. Oh, it's not 25 years. It's only 22 years. Yeah, anyway. Uh, and so, so but I was in school, and, and I was a Christian kid. I never got into the party. See, I've served the Lord my whole life. I, I just, I love God with all my heart and never went away from that. And, and, but one thing I wasn't is, is I wanted to stand out for who I was in God, not for what I did. And so I wasn't the kid who stood up. You know, I always heard the story, stand up on the lunch table and tell everybody about Jesus. And that just wasn't my personality. I'm a preacher now, oddly enough, but I, that wasn't what I wanted to do. In fact, we took one of those uh, um, 11th grade assessments of your future career, and I had three options. Professional basketball player. I would have loved that, but didn't have that skill. Number two, bowling pin machine mechanic. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was like, well, okay, I, yeah, you know. Or a pastor. 
and I remember sitting in class, and the, and the teacher's going around, uh, what are your three? And they're like, engineer, president of the United States, astronaut. And, you know, and everyone's like, and it comes to me, and I'm like, pro basketball player. And they're like, oh, you think you're that good? I was like, well, you know, shut up. Number two, what's your second one, Aaron? She goes, that's unrealistic. What's your second one? I go, uh, bowling pin machine mechanic. <laughs> and she goes, oh, come on. I said, no, it's, it's right here. She goes, well, give me your third option. I go, uh, pastor. And I was like, ah, oh, I was just, not, I did not want to stand out in those ways. There was this Christian girl in my school. God bless her. I'm never going to criticize her enthusiasm. She was very enthusiastic. But she wore, like, the giant, like, Flava Flav size. Um, I don't know if you know who that is, the rapper with the clock. She wore, like, Jesus Loves You pins, you know. And she had banners, and she gave candy out that said Jesus Loves You. And, and she was, like, kind of like people made fun of that, you know, because she was over the top. Well, one day in the lunchroom, she stood up and did one of the I'm going to preach. And then she says, and she was an Assembly of God person. And she says, and Aaron Halavid also shares everything I share. And everyone turned and looked at me, and I was like, I'm going to be a bowling pin machine mechanic. You know, <laughs> I was like, just get off this. You know, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. You know, um, but I prayed a prayer every single day of my life. God, just let people know I'm different. I don't know how. Just let people know I'm different. My senior year, as we were ending the senior year um, in my yearbook, and then one after another at the end of the year, kids would come to me, and they would say things like this. Hey, I don't know what it is about you, but you're different. What is it that's made you different all these years of school? I had the window shot out of my house, a uh, bunch of my friends, uh, and I was a well-liked guy. This wasn't because we had problems. They got drunk, and they were having a party, and three guys got together and with high-powered BB guns, shot out some windows in my house, and we called the police and got them involved, and we sat down, and I finally sat with my four friends. Uh, three of them played on the basketball team with me, and we were in season. And I said, why did you guys do that? And they told me this. They said, because one guy said, just because I'm jealous, because... I've given up all of my self-esteem and all my values to try to be liked, and you've never done that, and people like you more than me. Now, that sounds crazy, but I will tell you what he's saying is there's something different about you, and I don't know what it is, and it frustrates me, and I got to talk to him about Jesus Christ. After high school, years after high school, my parents were pastors, so pastors were not normally popular people. We would come into the gym during basketball, and we had scouts coming and checking out our team, and so we would hear this buzz happening, and I always thought it was a scout until I started realizing that when my parents showed up, the gym got excited, and high school students would gather with my parents because my parents were different. Years after high school, kids would get out of jail, and they'd come and knock on my parents' door, and I'd say, hey, how you doing? they say, uh, Brian says, hey, Aaron, I'm not here to see you. I'm here to see your parents. They're the only people who've meant something to me in life. I will tell you, there's something beautiful about faithfulness that pays off down the road that you don't get in the immediate future. I am telling you faithfulness pays off down the road it may not happen in the it's not noticeable all the time it's not always something that's glamorized it's little statements the drama seems bigger but the little statements are more powerful and long term down the road the nation will listen to the words he has to say I'm gonna move on and I'm just gonna say a couple of quick things at one point, God just says, hey, listen, he sends a word from God and says, I'm going to raise up a faithful priest. Eli dies, Hophni, Phinehas dies. The Lord just continues to minister. We see in chapter 3, verse 1, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Samuel continues to simply be faithful to God in the midst of this chaos. Well, I want to fast forward down uh, to verse 19 of chapter 3 and and Hophni and Phinehas and Eli are gone. And I want you to see the words in verse 19. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, 
and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And that, that's a hard phrase for me to, to pray. It's not because I, I do that, but it's because this is how careful this man of God was. None of his words fell to the ground. He didn't have careless moments. He didn't have reckless statements. He knew who God was, and he knew what God wanted him to do, and he lived faithful, above reproach. All of Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. What has happened is Samuel is now the priest of Israel. He's the leader of Israel, and the nation sees a change in him, and it's different. See, Samuel is faithful in everything he says. No words fall to the ground. I told this story, and actually, I, I just realized after, between service, I misspoke one part of it. I told two stories, but I made them sound like one. First is of a girl in my youth group who used to come in and give to missions. Our youth group had about 100 kids in it, and they gave $88,000 to Speed the Light in six years, all of their own money. These kids just got wild about winning people to Christ. And there was this girl, uh, her name was Tara. She would stand at the back of the sanctuary, and every day she would drop in coins. She'd drop in pennies, and she would say, a penny for a soul. She'd mumble. I'd say, what are you doing? And she'd say, I'm praying a penny for a soul, a penny for a soul. That girl gave thousands of dollars to speed the light over the years. Little increments, but became very faithful. Uh, many of you may have met uh, Jeff and Andrea Bassett. Uh, they've probably been here. These guys know them. They're from our church. Um, and this is the story. I made it sound like it was the same story, but it was two different people. Andrea, one time, she came to me as, as a, a student. And she said, I feel like God wants me to give $3,800 to speed the light. And I said, oh, and you, you ever have those moments when you're a leader and you think, did I just manipulate them into doing something they shouldn't? You know, and it was like, oh, I didn't mean to, you know. So I tried to talk her out of it, and she looked at me with, like, ferocity. She says, who are you to tell me what God said? <laughs> yeah. So, like, weeks later, she comes in, and she drops this money into our Speed of Light, $3,800. And I said, what in the world? Where'd you get this from? She goes, oh, I emptied out my bank account. She goes, that was my college money. I thought, oh, her parents are going to kill me. <laughs> you know, and she says, well, they already know. I'm like, I'm staying away from them. I'm not calling them. I, I just got good grief. I've just ruined this girl's future, you know. And what did I do? Maybe that was just, you know. And, and I started saying to her, well, you got to pay for college. She says, Pastor Aaron, I know what God told me. He's going to take care of you. She, she enrolls in college, and halfway through the semester, I say, well, what are you doing? How, how are you doing college? She says, oh, it turned out someone paid for my college. I got this grant, and it covered her college. And she said to me this phrase. She said, Pastor Aaron, I want you to know something. And I think it was for the whole year. It might have been the first semester. I think it was for the whole year. And she said to me this. She said, Pastor Aaron, I want to say something to you. She goes, I believe God asked me to do this as a test for something greater in my future, and now they are the first missionaries. Is this going on online somewhere? It is? Okay. They are the first missionaries to a very sensitive region where nobody has been in like 60 years. And they are going and ministering in some of the most remotest areas of all where people have never even heard the name of Jesus and people are getting saved. And I will tell you where that faithfulness began. It did not begin. It did not begin the moment they said they were called to missions. It began the moment they were faithful to do what he told them to do. Samuel reminds us of this. Eli's sons grew up, and here's the questions for us. Do you look more like the mess than you should? Are you faithful in some very unfaithful places? Do you stand out or do you blend in? Hannah taught Samuel faithfulness. He learned it along the way from God and from Hannah, his mom. I think it's interesting what the Lord says at the end of life. Notice what he doesn't say, and, and Bobby, you can come on up. 
You know what he doesn't say when you go to heaven? Well done, thy great and faithful giver. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is a part of the end of your journey. It's faithfulness that God measures. He doesn't measure attendance, although that's part of faithfulness. He doesn't measure all the things we measure on earth. How many people liked you? He says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I, I told the story in first service. My grandma, she, she lived to be um, either late 80s or early 90s. I can't remember. I think it was late 80s or early 90s. Yeah. And so she had been a Christian my whole life, and she got really ill. She had heart problems, hip problems, knee problems. She sat in a wheelchair. And she said, Aaron and Nathan, my brother, I want you to start praying that God uh, takes me home fast and quickly and painlessly as soon as he can. I'm ready to go. And we said, no. She says, no, I really want you to pray that. I said, no, Grandma, we're not praying that. Are you crazy? And so Nathan says, my, my wedding's coming up. This is years ago. My wedding's coming up, and I, be, I want you to be there at my wedding. She goes, fine, I'll make you a deal. Pray that I make it to the wedding, and then pray that God takes me right after the wedding. And my brother says, no. And I said, I'm not praying that way. She says, this is what I want you to pray. I said, we're not doing that. And so she says, all right, I'll make you a deal. Nate says, well, I want to tell you about my honeymoon and where we went. They were going to Italy or Prague or something like that. And she says, okay, pray that you get married. I'm there at the wedding that I go, you go on your honeymoon, you come back, you can come and tell me all about it and we can celebrate that. And then I want to pray God kills me. And I said, Grandma, we're not praying that. Nathan's like, we're not. We're at Nathan's wedding reception. She leans over. She would get you. She's one of those grandmas that would arm lock you and you're stuck. You know, like if you came near my grandma, I had to keep my arm moving. But if she got your arm, it's like a good hour conversation. And as she got older, she told you all sorts of things. Like the one day she leaned over to me and she goes, hey, just want to let you know I love you, but you're fat. <laughs> I said, okay. She goes, no one likes fat preachers. So stop being fat or stop preaching, but don't be both. And I said, well, Grandma, I love you. She goes, I love you too, honey. Oh, you're so wonderful. I really like your sermons. Okay. So, you know, she arm locks me at the reception, and she says to me, hey, you know what time it is. So watch, because it's time to start praying. I was going to say hammer time, but that didn't, wouldn't go well. She says, it's time to start praying. The Lord takes me. I said, I'm not praying that. So my brother gets married, goes on his honeymoon, comes back, takes her to A&W. They have an old-fashioned root beer float. Tells her all about their trip, showed pictures. The next day, she died. In her wheelchair, going to church service. She had an aneurysm, took her life real quick. She died. And my brother at a funeral was saying, you know, how at funerals we celebrate. And by the way, I, it's totally off point, but I think we need to do better in the kingdom of God and in life celebrating people while they're alive. Before we just honor people when they're not alive. But anyway, at the funeral, everyone was getting up saying how faithful she was to God. And God, and Nathan gets up and says, I want to I let you know, God has been faithful to her. But I also want you to know God was faithful, or she was faithful to God, but God was faithful to her. See, faithfulness produces something of a relationship with God where you and him are on the same page. You know, Samuel, at the end of his life, think about it. Samuel anoints Saul as king. Saul fails miserably, miserably. And it's devastating to Samuel. Ever read that? He's devastated. Oh, Samuel, Saul, please stop doing that. Please stop making mistakes. Why are you doing this? And Samuel is arguing with God. Please don't hurt him. Please don't take your hand away from him. I don't want Saul to fail. And God says it's going to happen. And, and what does he do? He goes and has Saul, Samuel appoint David while Saul's still alive. That's a little stressful, you know. And, and Samuel gets appointed, uh, David gets appointed king by Samuel. And I, I always thought to myself, why is it, why is it 
that God let David get appointed king so long before he would become king. Part of it is two reasons. Number one, I believe because Samuel's the only one who could have done that. But number two, I think that was God's faithfulness to a brokenhearted Samuel. Where he said, Samuel, I want you to know before you die, you anointed Saul and he failed. But you're going to anoint David. And David is going to lead to me. My son is coming through the bloodline of David. And I think God gave Samuel that gift because Samuel anoints David and Samuel dies. But Samuel died knowing that God's plan was still good. See, it's a difficult story with some, a good story with some really difficult parts. So I want to challenge you to be faithful. Faithfulness doesn't have to be flashy or bold. It's just faithful. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for everyone in this place. Let us be faithful. Let us be faithful to you. Let us be faithful about the things about you. God, I pray in our lives you would make us to be people that would be examples of faithfulness to everyone around us. God, I pray you do that in me at a deeper level. That you do that in all of us, Lord, in our homes and our workplaces. Challenge us of an area of, of unfaithfulness in our lives that we know, that, that you, we know you know, that no one else may know, but we know it's there. And God, I pray you'd help us to work on being faithful for your name's sake, for our relationship's sake, in your name. What an incredible word of faithfulness and what it can look like. Thanks, Pastor Aaron, for blessing us. And let's let that meditate in our hearts. Let it not just go in our heads and out our ears and be done with it. Let's let God's word sink down inside and change us and uh, really change the way we live and the way we think. And um, But I just want to encourage you, as you know, maybe you were sitting there and you're listening to you know, what it's like to have a heart that's right before God, what it's like to, to give him everything, what it's like to serve him with every bit of who you are. It's the greatest, it's the greatest way to live. It's, it's the greatest thing that, you know, I believe that can be experienced on earth is just a life with God. And, uh, you know, maybe you're in this room and you, you're, you're, you're like, man, that all sounds great. That sounds awesome, but you know what? You haven't chosen that path for yourself. Well, I want to give you an opportunity to choose that. Choose it today. Choose it without hesitation and live the life that God has called you to live. God has been pursuing you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. And today, maybe it's your day to give God control. And so what I want to do is I want to ask everybody to just, uh, you know, bow your head and close your eyes and and uh, I just want to speak to those who, who are like, you know what, that's me. I, I can remember the day where I gave my life to Jesus. I can remember the day when I said yes to him, when I gave him control. When, uh, and, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if my heart were to quit beating or if I were to pass suddenly as, as Pastor Aaron's grandma did, I know that I would find myself at the gates of heaven, walking with Jesus, living the e eternity with God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Yeah. There's a lot of hands in here, but maybe you're in here and, and your, your hand, it just, you, you couldn't have put it up. You wanted to, you thought about it, but you weren't sure. Well, I can tell you, you know what, there's a way to be sure, and that is to say yes to Jesus, and that is to open up and to let him in, to give him control, and invite him into the mess of your life. 
Because that's the greatest place to be. And so if you want to be sure, and if you're not sure, or if you, you've been thinking about this for a while, and you're finally ready to take that step, I want you to go ahead and just wave your hand at me right now. Don't be ashamed. Yeah, there's a hand out there. Hallelujah. God wants to be part of your life. Is there anyone else out there who would uh, stand with this young man and say, I need Jesus, and it's today's my day? Anyone in this room? Yeah, I see another hand. Praise God. See, God's moving. God's changing lives. God's at work in this place. If you want in, uh, don't wait. Let's just let's pray together. Let's get right today. All right, I'm, I'm going to quick. We're going to move on. We're going to pray. Just linger for five seconds. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, will you guys pray with, with these two individuals here as God uh, powerfully changes lives? Say this, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross, die a brutal death, and that you rose him from the dead to break the curse of sin and death over my life. I invite you in, Jesus. God, I invite you into my life. Be Lord over it. Change me. Make me whole. I want to live my life for you. Help me, Lord. We give you praise. We give you honor. Let's begin to praise Jesus and thank him. Let's give God the glory. God, we thank you for changing the lives, our lives, God. We're all at that moment, and we all had to decide, but praise you, Jesus, for, for helping us make that decision, God. And I pray for the rest of the, the individuals in this room, for the rest of our church body, our family, God. Lord, I pray that you bless them and keep them. Lord, that the hand of blessing be on their household. God, that their ears would be open, that you would be revealing to them your truth, your ways, your love, your grace, your mercy, and use them to accomplish your will. May our stories glorify you in a powerful way this week, even today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.